Welcome to the Truth Wars podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We wanted to let you know that Olin's first book, What to Do with Worry, is now available on Audible. You can also purchase physical copies where Christian books are sold. Now, here's Olin. I pray that you would speak to us through your word. I pray that you would help us to understand more about who you are and who you have made us to be, Lord. And uh, while really you've made everything, why you've made the world and how we are supposed to live in this world in a way that would best honor you, but also in a way that would best uh, make our lives enjoyable and fruitful and productive. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, if you've got a Bible, you can open up to Genesis chapter 1. If you don't, I think the verse is going to be on the screen, and most of them are going to be fairly familiar. Even if you didn't grow up in the church, I bet a lot of these verses you will have heard before. God is creator. Now, when we come to the Bible, and we're primarily going to be looking at the first two chapters of the Bible tonight, Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2. And sometimes when we read these two chapters, and this is for people inside the church and inside, outside the church, sometimes we bring questions to the Bible that the Bible wasn't necessarily designed to answer. The Bible, it, Christians believe, the Bible is God's Word. That yes, men wrote it down, but God told them exactly what He wanted them to say, and we have exactly kept it preserved. This is God speaking to us. That's pretty powerful, if that's true. But if you, if you said, man, I want to go to the Bible, i got to go shopping later tonight, I'm out of toothpaste, and I need to know, is Crest or Colgate better toothpaste? Don't consult the Bible. Okay, It's not going to tell you that. It doesn't tell you everything. It talks to you about your spiritual life. I'm reading a biography right now, and it's actually a history book of a lot that happened in World War II. And one of the things they're talking about in this book right now is when they were building the atomic bomb. Now, it's not going into all the science of splitting the atom and nuclear fission and the difference in an atom bomb and a hydrogen bomb. And I might be interested in that, but if I'm reading a history book trying to get scientific answers, it's not going to answer my questions. Does that make sense? It doesn't mean the book's wrong. It just means I've got to go to the book for the right thing. Now, does the Bible say some things about history? Yes, and we can trust those things. Does the Bible say some things about science? Yes, and we can trust those things. But that's not mainly what the Bible's talking about. And if you come at it, what a lot of people, when they read the first couple of chapters of Genesis, what they want to think about is, well, how old is the earth? Is it 6,000 years old? Is it 6 million years old? Is it 6 billion? 6 trillion? And what about dinosaurs? When did they get made and how long did they last? And what about evolution? Did it start with slime and turn into monkeys? And, and listen, what if, what if you went to the Bible and there was a verse and it said, I'm going to tell you exactly how many years old the earth is. That'd be pretty interesting, wasn't it? But would that actually make any difference in your life tomorrow, the way you lived your life, right? If there was like a secret verse that nobody had ever discovered, and let's pretend we discovered it tonight, 2 Hezekiah 7.14. And it says, planet Earth is exactly 6,741 years old and, you know, three months and two days and 42 hours. So what? what? What difference does that make in my life tomorrow? None. But what if I go to the Bible and it tells me why God made the world? Why God made dinosaurs? Why God made slime? Why God made monkeys? Most importantly, why God made me? Why God made you? Would that make a difference in the way you live your life tomorrow? It ought to. Okay? So, uh, 
If you have your Bibles, or if the screen comes back up, look at Genesis chapter 1, and let's start in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Now, we're not going to read the whole chapter, but that pattern continues. Six different days God's making things. He's making land. He makes water. He makes the sun, the moon, the stars. He makes animals. He makes vegetation. And He makes human beings. Let's go to the end of this chapter. Skip down to verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps in the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps in the earth, everything that has breath of life. I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And it was evening, and it was morning, the sixth day. Now listen. Here's the main thing, at least one of the main things that Genesis chapter 1 is trying to tell us that ought to be important for our lives. When God made planet earth, man and woman didn't come until a little bit later. And what was God doing? It was like he was preparing a perfect living environment for human beings. What would life be like on planet earth if there was no such thing as light? Pretty miserable. What would life be like on planet earth if we had water but we didn't have land? You just lived your whole life in a boat. That might sound cool for a little while and you get really old really quick at some point, right? What would life be like if there weren't animals, if there wasn't beauty, if there wasn't food? One of the things I'm reading in this World War II novel, one of the things that Nazis did at times when they would take over a country and they would keep some people for slave labor. But they were really wicked. And one of the things they would do is they would give them the bare minimum amount of food that they needed to survive. Tiny bits of water. Tiny bits of stale bread. Tiny bits of soup so they could barely stay alive. I mean, they called them death camps because so many people died. Because they didn't, they didn't want these people to flourish. They just wanted these people to work for them. What if God had made all planet Earth like that? God didn't do that. God gave us a lavish, abundant world. Okay, so here's the first main point that we need to see from Genesis chapter 1. God was trying to make planet Earth a place that was safe for us, a place that was secure for us, a place that we could flourish. Okay? Some of you, I want you to think about the best feast you've ever had in your life. I mean, the, the best, like, you know, you ate until you were in pain because it was so good and you just kept eating. Right? If For a lot of us, if you grew up in America, it was probably grandma Thanksgiving dinner or something like that, right? If you say, maybe you grew up in another country and you're here visiting and maybe you just only get to go home one time a year and your mom is so excited that you come home and she cooks a gigantic feast for you. And it's all the food that maybe you don't get to eat a lot of times in America. And so you just eat till you're almost sick. 
In a sense, God made the world. And did you hear what he's saying? He said, hey guys, I want you to be blessed. I want you to be in charge. I want you to eat everything. It's all yours. You can have it. You can use it. We're not supposed to abuse planet Earth. We are supposed to enjoy it. There's a great old Bible teacher. He's dead now. His name is John Calvin. Just listen to this quote. God certainly did not intend that mankind should be slenderly and sparingly sustained. But rather, by these words, He promises a liberal abundance which should leave nothing lacking for a sweet and pleasant life. For Moses, Moses wrote Genesis, for Moses relates how generous the Lord had been to them in bestowing on them all things which they could desire that their ingratitude might have the less excuse. Basically, God made planet Earth in such a way that human beings should have always been grateful, always been thankful, always been happy, always enjoying. So first point, God made a world safe for people. But then the second thing, God did make human beings to serve Him. We do have a job. We do have a role. I mean, sometimes we think, you know, it would be great if I had nothing to do. If I could just like lay around all day and play video games. And again, that might be cool for a day, a week. Some of you might can stretch it out even for a couple of months. But I promise you at some point, you get bored. There would be something in your soul that would say, I'm made for more than this. I want purpose. I want to do something with my life. Because you're made in the image of God. And God doesn't just sit around and play video games all day. God is doing something with His life. And He made you to do something with your life. Okay? So, uh, let's look at a few more verses. Go into chapter 2. In one sense, Genesis chapter 1 is trying to give us the big macro picture of God making everything in the universe. In chapter 2 it says, let me focus in on the most important thing, human beings. Man and woman. And let's get more specific about how they were made and why they were made. So, Genesis chapter 2, and skip down to verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And then skip down to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. To cultivate it and guard it. There was this garden, gigantic. May have been as big as like Yellowstone Park. And Adam was put there. And God's like, hey, I got it started, but you're in charge. Cultivate it. Make it even better. Take care of it. Protect it. He had a role. He had a duty. In some sense, it's like he had a chore. Let me give you an example. I bet a lot of you can remember growing up. I have four kids, two of them still live at home. One of them is a daughter, she's 16 years old, and her main chore at our house is take the trash out. And we go through a lot of stuff. She has to take the trash out almost every day. And there are a lot of times we're sitting out to dinner or something, and I'm like, Sophia, you need to take the trash out. And for the most part, she's just about a perfect daughter. She's sweet, she's amazing. A lot of times she's like, oh, Dad, I already took it out this morning, and I'm going to do it again. And I'll say, baby, don't complain, it's your job, please take the trash out. And sometimes she'll say to me, and I think she's joking, I hope she's joking, she'll say, Dad, sometimes I think the only reason you had kids is just so we could do chores for you. Right? It's like, ha ha. Because here's the thing. Is she serving me by taking the trash out? Yes, she is. But if we wanted to add up on a chart how much she's serving me and how much I'm serving her, the comparison goes away really quick, right? Because of like the car that I just bought her this summer. I can just stop there. 
Right? And I've got 16 other years of ways I've been serving her. So, yes, we're supposed to serve God. But listen, guys, don't ever complain about that. Because you will never outserve God. I want you to think about this illustration. I bet most of us at some point have heard one of these stories about a guy that grew up maybe in a rough life, only a single mom. She had to work hard, two different jobs, just to take care of him, provide for him. But he turns out to be a great athlete. And maybe he goes to the NFL one day. He makes it big. He starts getting paid. What's one of the first things that guy wants to do? He wants to go back home and take care of his mom, right? Mom, I'm going to pay all your bills. You ain't never going to struggle. I'm going to buy you a big, nice house. It's going to be paid off. You don't ever have to work again. And I think that's pretty awesome. I think he should do that. But here's the thing. Even in a scenario like that, when he buys her a million-dollar mansion with his first big paycheck, I still don't think he's serving her more than she served him. What do you think? Because for 18 years, maybe longer, she was slaving away, working multiple jobs, staying up late, putting her social life on hold so she could provide for that kid and help him grow into a man, right? So listen, I don't care how strong and mature of a Christian you ever become. You may go be a full-time missionary and give your life away for the Lord. That'd be awesome. But even then, you can never look at God and say, hey, you owe me. <laughs> right? Because He always is serving us much more than we're serving Him. We are made to serve Him. But never forget how much He's already served us. How much He continues to serve us. And if you're a Christian, there's a place in John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3, where Jesus says, I'm going away. But you know why He said He was going away? He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. A mansion where you can live with me one day. He doesn't just provide for us in this life, guys. If you're in Christ, He provides for you for all eternity. Now, the third point is this. God made people to be satisfied in Him. Okay? We've discussed a lot of the great things that God gave when He made people. But we haven't talked about one of the best. Because at first, He just started out with Adam. But He didn't stop there. Praise the Lord, He didn't stop there. Okay, so let's keep reading. Uh, verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. There again, there, there's God's liberal generosity, His abundance. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. So there's one tree. God said, trust me on this one. You can do, basically, you can eat anything in the whole garden you want to. Everything on planet Earth, really. Just this one tree. Leave it alone. But then, the good news continues. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And this is where he makes woman. He says, Adam... Take a nap, and when you wake up, buddy, i got a really big surprise for you. And Adam wakes up, and he's like, man, all these animals you made, monkeys and porcupines and dolphins, they were pretty cool, but this is a lot better. Literally said, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. What he's really saying is, she's just like me in a lot of ways, but she's really different in a lot of great ways. Right? And I want you to think about this. Because in college, one of the main things that tends to make people want to walk away from God is sex, romance, dating, intimacy, all that kind of stuff. And what I want you to know is, God's the one who invented all that stuff. You want to enjoy it in the best way, you do it His way, His timing. He's not against that. He invented it. He came up with it. 
He's the expert. He wants to bless you with those things. Every good pleasure. There's an old theologian, a guy named Augustine, used to live in North Africa, and he said this. He said, Satan can't create any new pleasures. All he does is take the good pleasures God has made, and he just perverts them and twists them. You want to experience the best stuff in life, you go to God and you do it His way and you enjoy His gifts. So the third point is just this. God made a world so that we could be satisfied in God and in His gifts. And He provides so many different ways for us to do that. Are there restrictions? Yes. Are there prohibitions? Yes. But guys, before God ever gave them one no, He gave them a thousand yeses. And one of the things that we get caught up in is all the rules in the Bible. Yeah, there's rules in the Bible. But before there were rules, there was a lot of grace. There's a lot of generosity. One of the things that my daughter likes to do after dinner is she likes to get some dessert. And so if we don't have cookies or something at the house, a lot of times she's like, Dad, will you take me to Chick-fil-A to get some ice cream? And I usually say yes, because who doesn't like to go get dessert at Chick-fil-A, right? And I take her and I buy her, you know, a little milkshake or whatever it is. And there's so many times we come home and she's like, Dad, thank you for the milkshake. And then sometimes, you know, we'll get out of the car, she'll give me a hug. And she'll be like, Dad, you're so generous. Now, the reality is, I'm not filthy rich, but I can afford a milkshake, right? But even just me buying her a milkshake, she's thinking, I don't have enough money to buy a milkshake all by myself. Just tonight, before I was leaving the house. I'd done something to try to help my wife, and my daughter came up to tell me bye, and she gives me a hug. She said, Dad, you're such a great husband. Now, in that moment, what's she doing? She's doing more than just saying thank you. There's a sense in which she's honoring me for my characteristic. And she's not doing it begrudgingly. She's not like, hey, Dad, can I have $20 bills because I gave you that compliment? She's just kind of expressing the overflow of her heart. At least right now, I may change at some point. She likes me. Right? And you guys, you know this, right? You have people in your life. Maybe it's not your mom or dad, but you've got a friend, you've got a roommate, you've got somebody in your life that you just enjoy, and sometimes you give them a compliment, and why do you do it? Because there's actually some pleasure in complimenting somebody else that you actually enjoy. Does that make sense? That's what we call worship. That's really the end-all, be-all of life is that God has given us good gifts. We're supposed to enjoy them His way, His timing, His plan. And when we do, yes, you should say thank you, but you should go beyond just saying thank you for the gift and say, you're such a good giver. You're such a good God. You're such a wise creator. Again, imagine what it would be like to live on planet Earth and there was no such thing as water. The next time you take a shower, just think, I like water. I'm a big fan. God invented water. And that's just a start. Imagine if you had a friend who'd been blind since birth. But they had some medical breakthrough here at UAB. And they were able to fix your friend's eyes and all of a sudden he can see. And you were actually in the hospital room when like, he opened his eyes for the first time and he can see everything. And he's just kind of you know, flabbergasted. He almost can't speak. And at one point he's like pointing what are you pointing at? And it's just a sunbeam coming through the window. And he's like, that's the most, well, I haven't seen much, but of everything in this, you know, <laughs> hospital room, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my short life of seeing. <laughs> if you're a good friend, what might you do to them? You say, you, you like the sunbeam? You, you like the little ray coming through the window? You think that's awesome? You think that's beautiful? 
You think that's powerful? Come over here, look out the window, look up in the sky, but don't look too long or you'll burn your retinas, right? But there's this gigantic ball of fire in the sky called the sun. Talk about beauty. Talk about magnificence. Talk about splendor. And guys, every time you enjoy any good gift in life, there ought to be a sense, God invented this. You eat a taco, and you like the way, right, that the fish and the tomatoes and the onions go together. It's like, God invented this. And there ought to be, thank you for the gift, but God, I love you. You're amazing. Now, look on verse 25, the last verse of chapter 2. And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. Now, what is that telling us? It's actually telling us a lot, okay? But, but what, part of what it's saying is they had nothing to hide, nothing to fear. Not from one another, not from God, not from the world. It was like everything was safe, everything was wonderful. They could totally be themselves. They were safe and secure and satisfied. They could let that, they didn't have to have a guard at all to have it up. They could be themselves. But there's a little bit of foreshadowing there. Because in the very next chapter, Satan's going to come in, Satan's going to start lying to them about God. They're going to believe the lies of Satan, start to doubt God. They're going to eat the forbidden fruit and it's going to go bad, and all of a sudden they are going to feel shame. And they're going to want to run and hide and cover up and they're not going to trust one another anymore and they're going to feel insecure and they're going to hide from God. It's going to go really bad. We're going to look at one more very brief verse and we'll be done. So if you've got your Bibles, flip all the way to the New Testament to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We're just going to look at two verses here. I promise we're almost done. Because it can seem a little weird to us. Why, why are we going up here? Because... Maybe one of the best gifts God ever gave human beings was the gift of fellowship, the gift of friendship, the gift of marriage, the gift of other people that you can have best friendship with, right? All right, I'll do it with no microphone, okay? And, and here's the thing. Paul, in the New Testament, he wrote a lot of the New Testament. Can you still hear me in the back, Tyler? Okay. He's talking about marriage. He's giving really practical advice for marriage, again. There's, there's practical advice in the Bible too. But I want you to see what he says at the very end. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. He kind of comes to the end of his practical advice, and here's how he sums it up. He says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now that's a quote from Genesis 2. But then look at what he says in verse 32. This is where it gets kind of crazy. He says, This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. You see what he's saying? He's saying, when God invented marriage, one of his best gifts ever, it's one of his best gifts because it's not his absolute best gift. But it does point to the absolute best gift. God knew that Adam and Eve were going to sin. God knew that they were going to rebel. God knew they were going to eat the forbidden fruit. He wasn't taken by surprise and he already had a plan. And the plan was that his son because He loved us so much, would be willing to come to earth and serve us in the ultimate way. Not only did He live a full 33 years of human obedience where He was tempted in every way that we are, and yet He never sinned. Not one second. Not a wicked thought. Not an evil emotion. 
tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. And then he got to the end of his life and the wrath, the anger of God that people like me and you deserve because of all our rebellion, it was dumped onto Jesus. So that if anyone would say, I want forgiveness, I want mercy, I want to be restored to my Creator, even in light of all the terrible sin I've done, God could give it to us because of the blood of His Son. Now, think about this, guys. God made a world secure for us. He wanted us to serve Him. He wanted us to be satisfied in Him. All of us. We don't serve Him the way we should, and we're not satisfied in Him the way we ought to be. We try to be satisfied in other things, and it never works out, does it? There's pleasure in sin for a season, but it doesn't last very long. There's always a bitter aftertaste. It's kind of like go down to the tallest building in downtown Birmingham, the Regions Building or whatever, climb up to the top and jump off of it. I bet you'll have a really fun free fall for a few seconds, and then it's going to end really bad. And that's the way sin always goes. It'll be fun for a little while, but the ending is never good. But if you'll come to Christ, He took the ending for you. So you don't have to take all those painful consequences. And when I said earlier, we serve God in these little tiny ways, kind of like doing chores like kids, but He serves us in the ultimate way and you can never outserve Him. The main way that He has served us is by living a perfect life in our place, dying as our substitute, rising again to conquer death, hell, and the grave. And if you will put your faith in Him, not only will you start to have more satisfaction in this life that won't be perfect, but He promises you will have perfect satisfaction for all eternity in heaven with Him. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I pray for everyone hearing this. Wherever we are in our faith or in our lack of faith, would you draw us closer to Yourself? Help us understand Your Word more. Help us understand Your heart for us. Help us understand the goodness and generosity of Your gifts. Help us be willing to serve You gladly with joyful obedience because truly You have served us more than we could ever imagine serving You. We pray all this only in Your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.